Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right. Um, We are in our series still, The Kingdom Unleashed. We're looking at the book of Acts. We're going to be in this series for a while because Acts is a long book. There's a lot of really good stuff to cover. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's a literally a history of the beginning of the church. And so if you want to know how to follow Jesus, what it looks like to see a dynamic church, then you can look at the book of Acts. It's one of the greatest places. The first time you ever see the gospel preached, book of Acts. When you see the church starting to grow and how they deal with difficulties and how they deal with with that growth and all those different things. You look at the book of Acts. And so it's a really good study. And today we're going to continue in that. But first I want to ask you, have you ever looked at someone and just judged a book by its cover and did not, you know, you just, um, you didn't appreciate them for what they were. You just misjudged them. You ever done that? Go ahead and raise your hand, a bunch of liars. I know y'all done it. <laughs> we all have done that. And uh, I grew up playing a lot of basketball, and there were times when I would go out to a court where I'd never played before, and people would look at me, and they would misjudge me, and they would think that um, they would think that I could play. No, I'm kidding. A lot of times they thought I couldn't play, but I could play. I could play. Uh, there were times I looked at people, and I was like, there's no way they could play. Like, there was times I would pull up to a place, and there was this little guy, and, you know, he, I'm not, I'm like six foot, so I'm, you know, pretty average height. Um, but there was this little guy out there, and, you know, I was like, oh, that's who I want to guard. And then everybody's like messing around, warming up, and he like takes the ball, takes a couple dribbles, and boom, like that. And I'm like, all right, you got him, you got him. I'll let you, I'll let you get your experience. I, I've handled people like that plenty of times. You know, but you look at people, and you just look at their outside, and you just make a judgment. And sometimes we're really wrong. Sometimes we're really wrong. Helen Keller, uh, if you're familiar with her, a very famous person who had uh, a lot of physical limitations, said this. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And I believe there's a lot of people, including maybe myself at times, maybe you at times, in this world that have sight but don't always have a lot of vision, especially when it comes to spiritual things. And I believe that the guy that we're going to spend some time talking about who sort of kicked off a little bit of a firestorm in Acts chapter 3 is this guy that we simply call him the lame man. And I would bet, and I think you'll see where I'm going with this as we get down to the end, I would bet that he would say to us, he would say to the people that were there that day, who are you calling lame? Who are you calling lame? If you don't know the story, and I'm going to sort of summarize a little bit of it, we're going to read different parts of the text here, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, and when we're reading the specific scripture, it'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along your Bible on your Bible app, however you like to do that. But this guy was uh, out begging because he had not been able to walk since birth. You know, he had, from a young age, he had not been able to walk. And he was out at what they called the beautiful gate. Peter and John, two of the apostles that had helped get this early young church started, were going to the temple about three in the afternoon for the time of prayer. They're walking in, and this guy's there by the beautiful gate where he always is because he had no other way to earn money for himself, to take care of himself, other than to beg for what they called alms. 
for the poor. And so he's sitting there, and as they're getting ready to walk in, he makes eye contact with them. And we can all relate to this. This is a 2023 problem, right? How many of y'all, you pull up to the top of the exit ramp, and there's that guy or that lady standing there, and what do you try to do? You try to look the other way. Oh, I'm looking for something up here on the roof of my car. You know what I mean? We, we try to do that. We don't want to make eye, eye contact. Well, Peter and John made eye contact with this guy. And when he saw them, he was expecting to get something from them. And they have this, if you've been around the church much, you've heard this sort of famous answer. He says, you know, have you got some money to spare? That's my paraphrase. And they said, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he gets up and he starts walking. And I'm telling you, he doesn't just start walking. What does he do? Running and jumping and leaping and praising God. And I'm telling you, man, I, I believe if we truly come in contact with Jesus, and I don't think it even has to be real physical healing like that. It doesn't have to be that. But I believe if we really come in contact with Jesus, it should give more of a response than just, amen, amen. You know, and I think sometimes when we're not really passionate about our faith, it's because maybe we put up a barrier or a wall between us and God, between us and the Holy Spirit, between us and Jesus the Son, and we don't get excited. But this guy, as soon, I mean, can you imagine 40 years not being able to walk? When they said, get up, rise, and walk, they did not say, Please follow up with your physical therapist for an eight-week eight rehab stint. They said, get up and walk, and he got up and ran. It was instantaneous, miraculous healing done at the hands or the voice even of the apostles by the power of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. And this guy is lit up and he is on fire and he is excited and he is celebrating. And man, it drew a crowd. And you can imagine that it would. It drew a crowd. And Peter... He didn't just say, okay, let's slip into the background. You know, when Jesus was going through in the early part of his ministry, many times he would perform a miracle, and then what would he do? He'd sort of disappear because he knew that they were going to try to force him into uh, going to the cross early. They didn't know it was the cross, but he did, and so he would back up. But now that Jesus has gone to the cross, and Jesus has gone to the tomb, and guess what? Left the tomb. It's time to go now. And so as the apostles are speaking on his behalf, when the crowd gathers, you know what Peter says? <clears throat> Listen up. They gather around, and he takes the opportunity to preach. This guy had been a, unable to walk for 40 years, and he was simply known as the lame guy. And the power of his testimony, seeing him healed, gives Peter the opportunity to preach the gospel yet again. But you know who is lame? You know who's really lame? Or what's really lame? I'd say knowing Jesus can change everything, but not do anything about it. It's pretty lame. <laughs> knowing Jesus can change everything, but not doing anything about it is lame. Merely attending church, but not serving with the church, I think is pretty lame. Having access to the living word of God, but not reading it or living it is pretty lame. 
I tell you, there's so many things. Choosing to merely exist rather than allowing God to radically change you and the people around you, I believe is pretty lame. I believe there are some powerful lessons that we can learn from this man who came into contact with Peter and John and what happened after. Because I'll be honest, if we look at ourselves honestly and sincerely, I believe a lot of us could probably be very guilty of being pretty lame sometimes. Maybe not always, but maybe there's times that we struggle with having the goodness of God and we've got life eternal and we've got the truth of the gospel that literally changes lives, but we don't always do anything with it. That's pretty lame. But I believe we can look at this passage of scripture and we can learn some powerful lessons about this, this man who came into contact with Peter and John and what happened after. And I believe first it helps us learn why we do what we do. You know, some people may look at the church, and I don't mean literally just our church, but people will look at Christians, believers, and they may doubt and they may think, why do you do that? Why do you get up and, and go on a Sunday morning when, you know, it might be your only day off or one of your only couple of days off? Why do you get up and go with a bunch of people and, and stand up and sing songs and Give money and, and, and drink coffee with people. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why, I mean, why do you go and pray? It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make sense to people who've never experienced the goodness and the grace of God. And then wait till they hear about church planting churches. You go earlier and set up. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. But why do we do that? Because Jesus can and will change everything. And we know that taking the time to set up a chair or, or, or welcome somebody with a cup of coffee or, or help set up sound or get up and pl practice and play music or just be kind and smile and welcome people. We know that all those things are just a bridge to Jesus. And that's why we do it. And so we've got to remind ourselves why we do what we do. The reason, and we call, we summarize our mission here at Movement Church as we love, serve, and move. And the reason we do that, we love, serve, and move is so that people can get to know Jesus. It won't make sense to people who don't know Jesus yet, but when we love and we serve and we move, we do it so that people can get to know Jesus. Let's pick up after this man is healed in Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He said, it's not us. It's nothing that we did. Verse 16, fast forward just a little bit there. And his name, that is Jesus, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter and John healed him. They wanted him to walk. But more than that, they wanted him to run on streets of gold one day. And they wanted other people to be able to run into the arms of Jesus. 
And so that's why even though the things that we do, the, the acts of kindness that we do inside these walls and outside these walls, and the reason we gather together and we sing praise songs and, and, and we you know give people hugs and fist bumps and high fives and why we do what we do in all the different varied ways, the reason we do it is because we want more people to be able to run into the arms of Jesus. I don't know why I didn't think about this ahead of time, but have you guys ever seen the painting or the picture that circles around on the internet a lot of it? It's called The First Day in Heaven. And you just see someone's back hugging who you know is to be Jesus. And, and they just bury their head in his shoulder, and he's just buried his head in their shoulder. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I want anybody and everybody who wants to experience that same joy to be able to do that. So that's why we love. That's why we serve. That's why we move. And the, the thing that we've got to understand is this. It's not simply enough to just speak the name of Jesus. We've got to give people the truth of the gospel. It's not enough that they know who Jesus is. They need to know about him. And Peter tells these people as they gather together, he didn't just stop there and say, oh, it's because of Jesus. He goes on to tell them, he says, you've been guilty. You're guilty, just like he did uh, a few days before on the day of Pentecost, the first time he ever preached, he told everybody that we were all guilty of crucifying Jesus, and he doesn't back down this time. He didn't take the opportunity because he had a good crowd to say, well, I'm going to keep it nice and light so I can keep a good crowd. He knew that people needed to know the truth, and so he said, you're guilty of Jesus' death, but he also said it was a part of God's plan. He allowed it to save them. And look at verse 17 where we pick back up. It says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. There's an important lesson I want us to grasp right here this morning. Ignorance is not the unforgivable sin. Sometimes we talk about ignorance, especially today in our culture, it is like one of the worst things we can say about somebody. You know, they're so ignorant. But do you know what ignorance is? Ignorance is just not knowing something. And you don't know what you don't know, right? And so it's not the unforgivable sin. And these people, he said, you were ignorant. You can't really know what you don't know. But here's the question. Everybody, if you've dozed off, let me wake up. All right. What do you do once you're educated? That's the question. What do you do once you're educated? Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, that may seem weird, but one of the things that we know about the Sadducees, they were a lot of times the ones who were in charge of the temple. They did not believe in really the spiritual side of things. That's kind of ironic that they had such a powerful role, but they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in any of this. And my professor in Bible college used to always say they didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. Man, Matt, you missed a chance, dude. <laughs> 
I didn't make that up. I'm just sharing it. But they were sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were angry that they were preaching the resurrection there. And it says in verse 3, And they arrested them, Peter and John that is, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So the church is continuing to grow as people hear the gospel. When the people heard the truth of who Jesus was, they, many chose in that crowd to become Christians. And the gospel still taking place, even though they were telling them difficult things. It says, you were guilty. When they heard it, they responded just like on the day of Pentecost. Just like on the day of Pentecost. And the leaders, they were a little different. <laughs> they questioned Peter and John. And they questioned them. They arrested them. They asked them the next day what power they used to heal. And they simply told them, Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. It says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Did he back down when he was in front of just the rulers? Nope. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And, and listen to this. This is another one. This is, a, this is a verse right here. If you want to memorize a verse, this is a good one. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus is the powerful and mighty name of Jesus that made this man walk and is the name by which allows any of us who do not deserve to, because we are what? Guilty of shedding the blood of the innocent one. Our sin is what put him on the cross. That same name is the name that gives us the opportunity and the power and the privilege to be saved. There is salvation in no one else. Not Moses, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith. And get ready for this one, not you. Many of us probably in this room wouldn't think about following one of those other people, but we'll quickly follow ourselves. And we'll think that we can do enough good things that we can be saved. Oh, I'm not too bad of a person. As long as I stand beside so-and-so at Judgment Day, I'll be all right. Some of you, that might be your husband or your wife. I don't know. <laughs> but we think that we can be good enough. Or we think that, you know, we know what's right. And we use our pride and we put ourselves up. But not even under your own name or your own power can you be saved. It's only by the name of Say it louder. Jesus. Jesus. Only by his name. The leaders couldn't be saved without Jesus. Neither can you or I. Nobody can. Nobody can. And as we said just a moment ago, when the people in the crowd, just the everyday normal people, when they heard that they were guilty and that Jesus was the only way to be saved, how did they respond, many of them? They chose to follow Jesus. They chose to follow Jesus. They became Christians. But what was the leader's response? Look in verse 14. It says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Sounds kind of good, right? 
Sounds positive. Might be looking okay for these leaders. But, there's another but. Verse 15. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now already you're starting to see, okay, it, it was starting off good. And then it's like, okay, what are we going to do with him? But we can't deny the truth of what happened. We know this guy was healed. Everybody knows he's been laying around for 40 years, not able to walk, and he was healed in the name of Jesus. Verse 17 says, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. When the leaders, the leaders, to channel a little bit of Allen Iverson, not talking about practice, not talking about you know, the regular people, the leaders, the, the spiritual leaders heard, heard that, and they saw, they knew that Jesus was the way. It was, they couldn't argue with it. We couldn't oppose it. They still said, nope. They acknowledged the power of Jesus' name, and they chose to reject it anyway. And can I just say that's one of the saddest passages of Scripture I can think of? But you know what? I've seen that in real life. I've seen that in real life. People will see. They'll look at Scripture. And because of what they've been told, what they've been taught in the past, I've literally been sitting across the table. My wife has seen it too. She's had it happen with her looking at Scripture, only reading Scripture. And because it conflicted with what they wanted to believe and what they had been taught, literally reach across the table, close the Bible, and slide it out of the way. I'm, this isn't somebody who was an atheist, y'all. This was somebody who was wanting to be and claiming to be a follower of Jesus. They said, nope, let's close that Bible. What's the real name for the Bible? God's Word. It happens all the time, and we cannot be those people, can we? If we want to truly know who Jesus is, we cannot have the attitude of not wanting to hear what he has to say. But that's what the leaders did. So here's a question I want you to, to wrap your brains around this morning. Is what is your response when you're confronted with truth in God's word? What's your response? What's my response? They couldn't deny the miracle, yet they wanted to silence the truth. And it's, it's common because here's why I believe they valued their comfort more than Christ's truth I believe that's why false teaching is so prevalent because the lust for temporary position and power is greater in most people's hearts than any desire for eternal life because all we can think about is right now right now right now we are like spiritual goldfish you know with that 10 second memory all we can think about is right now, right now, right now, right now. How dare we turn our backs on the truth? So which do you value more? Comfort or Christ? That's, 
the deep down question that you and I need to answer. Which do I value more, comfort or Christ? If you value Christ more, this is how you respond in the face of trials or challenges. When they were told, Peter and John, when they were told to stop speaking in his name, in Jesus' name anymore, look at verse 19. Y'all with me? It says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So when they were confronted, they were said, look, y'all better stop. Y'all better stop. Imagine that that was today. What would happen in most cases? Okay. All right. If I can go back and delete anything I said, I'll go and do it. Because a lot of times we're ruled by fear, and I can be just as guilty of that. But it says, when they heard that, when they said, you better stop, we're gonna, we got some power here, we're going to lay the smack down on you, what did they say? You tell us, should we listen to God or you? And they said, we can't stop. And I'm telling you, once I wrap my brain around it, and there's times that I've got it, but there's times that I don't. But once I wrap my brain around the true goodness of God, those are the times that I cannot stop talking about him and I cannot stop living for him. But that comes when we dig down deep into God's word and his truth. When you truly know the importance of God's word and it's the most important thing to you because we understand that it's truly life and death, you've got to share it with others, right? You've got to. You have to share it with others. You can't keep silent. But many times, I, I can relate with what maybe some of you are feeling. You ever sit there and you just struggle and you see people that live like that, like Peter and John are living? You're like, man, I wish I could do that. Anybody else ever have that feeling? I wish I could have that passion. I wish I could have that zeal, that, that fire, if you will. I wish I could have this love for truth and for sharing it. You know, I, I want to, but it's just, I can't get there. I, I want to do it. I think about it in my head. I even make up scenarios in my head. But when it comes to a real life person, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Maybe you're envious of people like that. And they've got this vibrant faith. It's, it's common, I believe. I think a lot of us struggle with it. But do you know what the missing piece is when we have that struggle and we can't get past that hump, if you will? Look at this verse, verse 13, backing up just a little bit. It says that when the Sadducees, these spiritual leaders, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized what that they had been with Jesus they had been with Jesus they didn't have the education they didn't have the pedigree they didn't have whatever fill in the blank but it says that they were astonished at the way that they talked and the way that they spoke and the way that they lived with that bravery they didn't they didn't have this extra special training it seemed they, they looked normal they were ordinary they were one translation says ignorant they were ignorant 
unschooled. But it says they took note that they had been with. When in doubt, answering a question in church, you can say Jesus. You can say it loud and proud. <laughs> Jesus. They took note that they had been with Jesus. And I'm telling you, that is the missing piece. It's not about talent. It's not about skill. It's not about looks, intelligence, money, none of that. It's about surrender. It's about surrender. Everything to Jesus. It's being with Jesus. It's being in his word. It's being constant in prayer. Just trying to have running dialogue with God throughout the day about everything and anything that's going on in your life. It's about being with his people. Are you devoted with being with Jesus' people and with Jesus? I have to tell you something that's probably not fun to hear if you're not quite there yet, but you won't see real results in your faith until you get devoted to spending time with Jesus and his people. It's the way he designed it. There's no other way. You might get results, but I'd hate to say it, but they're probably going to be counterfeit results. But when we spend time with Jesus and his people, that's when we really start to see change in our lives and the change in the impact that we can have in the lives of other people. Because here's what we understand is that God can take unschooled, ordinary, ignorant even people and he can change the world through them. He didn't take a bunch of those Pharisees. Now he gets a Pharisee later on in the Apostle Paul. But he started out with a bunch of regular people and said, here, we're going to go change the world. And he did it because he can use any of us and all of us if we will let him. Here's a word that you see, especially in some older translations in the Old Testament a lot. It's the word consecrated. Have you ever seen or heard that word, consecrated? It's not what you see on the orange juice. Um, sorry. Matt, struggling. I need you. But we see this word consecrated in the Old Testament a lot. And it means set apart or devoted. Set apart or devoted. And the story's told that one time many years ago, a, a woman came and asked her preacher, what does consecrated mean? What does consecrated mean? He went and he handed her blank sheet of paper. He said, I want you to take this pen and I want you to sign your name at the bottom. And I want you to treat that as a contract between you and God. And after you've signed it, I want you to hand it to him and let him fill in the terms. That's consecrated, set apart, devoted, surrendered, not now what does my contract often want to look like? Oh, hold on. Say, okay, well, I don't want to do this. I can't go here. I don't like them. I can't give beyond this. I don't have that much time. I'm busy. Okay, all right, here, here you go, Jesus. If you want, if you like this, you, you sign you on your part. Isn't that the way a lot of our contracts with God would look? I want to fill in the terms, and then you sign it, God. But he said, consecrated, and I think it's fair. Consecrated is you sign your name on the blank contract, give it to God, and trust him to fill in the terms that he sees fit. 
And I hate to say it, and it's not fun, and I don't like it a lot of times, and there's times I'm arguing with God myself, but it would basically say everything. Everything that you have, give to me, trust me. Everything, total surrender, total surrender. That's what being consecrated is. That's when we'll truly see the difference in our lives and we'll have that impact that we see other people have that we want. That's when we'll do it. And then when we make up our terms, we say, God, you can have me every other weekend. You can have whatever money's left at the end of the month. You can have my kids when they don't have other commitments. You can have my marriage unless you ask me to sacrifice too much for my spouse. You can have my thoughts, all of them, God, except the worries that I'm not quite sure you can handle. We put a lot of terms on our contract. I want you to think this morning as we're wrapping things up. What terms are on your contract that are keeping you from being a world-changing movement maker for Jesus? So I go back to our question that our first person in our story would probably ask. Who's the lame one? <laughs> you know, what's worse? Having vision, or having sight, but no vision? Yeah. Who's lame? The person who has the opportunity and the ability to go and run and tell everybody about Jesus. I'm not talking physically here, y'all. Y'all know what I'm saying. But the person who's got the opportunity to completely be surrendered to Jesus but won't take it, that is the lame one. It's not about physical limitations or weaknesses or being awkward. It's none of that. The one who knows God's truth and chooses not to obey it, that's the lame one. But the one who, no matter their weaknesses, no matter their flaws, no matter their struggles, no matter their cares, no matter their worries, no matter their sins, no matter their past, the one who just says, God, you can have it all. I'm writing my name down and I don't care what you put on the contract. That's the one. Those are the ones that can change the world through the power of the gospel. And that is what I want to be. And that is what I want you to be is I just want to sign my name at the bottom and say, God, here you go. And so I don't know what's on your contract today that you've already tried to fill in, but I'd encourage you to rip that thing up and go get another blank one and sign it and give it to Jesus. Today, 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 who's the lame one? Who needs to rise and walk? Who needs to give their contract to Jesus? Blank and signed. The standless sing. If you need to talk to someone about giving your life to Jesus Christ, I'd love to do that with you today. If you need somebody to pray with you and say, I just need help, have encouraged to walk away, to just give that contract, I'd love to talk with you. There are many other people in this room that would love to do the same thing. Who's the lame one? Let's rise and walk. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.